Welcome to After All, a cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCon. And welcome to the show, guys. This week, episode 17, Just a Lunch. A globetrotting journalist returns to WJM and catches Mary's eye, but she can't see beyond the fact that he's still married. So as we saw last week, we were talking, we we read it and we're going, is he divorced? Is he separated but not yet divorced? Is he married and an adulterer? What's going on? Like, what level of separated is he here, right. if at all? Right. And lo and behold, it does turn out that the man in question, John, Co- John Corcoran, uh, played by Monty Markham, is in fact separated yes. from his wife, although the level of separation is a thing to be contested. Uh, as Lou tends uh, seems to insinuate, uh, he's been separated more times than he he's ha- he and his wife have had more reunions than the Whiff and Poofs. I think is what he says. I know, and I don't know what the Whiff and Poofs are. I th- I'm inclined to think it's the uh, almost like a barbershop quartet thing at Yale. Or uh, I'm thinking of the. Okay. I think that's the whiff and poofs. Is it? I, I could be wrong. Okay. Let's, let's, I don't know them. Well, we let's, have we have the ability to double check. We have information at our fingertips. Stay tuned. The Yale whiff and poofs. I was oh, right. You were right. Yes, Gilmore Girls pays off. Oh, oh wow. yeah. that's so awesome. Yes, because Richard was a whiff and poof. Ah. They go to when uh, Rory's in first year, and yes. they go to Yale for the for the football game, and they're all tailgating, and Richard just gets distracted and goes. Whiff and poofs and runs off and they all start singing together. Uh, so yeah, the whiff and poofs, uh, the Yale whiff and poofs are a collegiate acapella. That was the word I was looking for. Acapella, acapella group. singing group established at Yale University in 1909. It is the oldest such group in the United States. The lineup changes each year, and former members include include Cole Porter. Wow! So that's fun. Wow! What a fun fact. <laughs> You'd think it was Yale and it was prestigious or something. <laughs> I You'd don't think. know. So uh, yeah, according to to Lou. John and his wife have had more reunions than the the Whiff and Poofs, which now makes So his separation sense. is a little bit shaky. A little shaky, a little tenuous, and probably just uh, a, separation a term of, of... A separation of convenience? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And boy, oh boy, is this man charming. Oh, yeah. He's, like, he's, he's your, your, your caricature of a charming um, foreign correspondent. Yep. But he's not smarmy. No. Like, we've met some other men so far who... When there's any kind of portrayal of charm, of which, let's be honest, it's been pretty scarce, mm-hmm. um, they're smug or smarmy or kind of insufferable. But the problem with John is that he's none of those things. No, he's actually really charming in the best possible way. And like, simultaneously the worst possible way. Yes, because he's so good at it that yeah. you would fall for it. Oh, yeah. And you do. I did. Me kidding too. me? I'm watching me going, Mary, shut up. Just take it. Just take like, it. Yeah. Th- do you one are you blind 
<laughs> are you he's deaf? He's really good looking. Like, huh. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, he's pretty handsome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And he's and funny. Even, and he's funny. And yep, he's and all he's those intelligent things. And he's yes. worldly. And he's, you know, he's all of these really wonderful things. And even the storyline that he wants to do research on to do a little documentary on about he's been gone. He's been in Vietnam for the last three, three years. years uh, being a foreign correspondent. And mm-hmm. now he's back in America and wants to do a little documentary about what it's like for someone who's been gone for three years do a bit of a road trip and yeah. come back and report on it. You know, how, how has America been in the last three years? Yeah. yeah. Neat idea. What a smart thing to do. And it's such a Jack Kerouac kind of a mentality, very much. which is charming in its own right. Yes. And, and he's very much romanticism. that way. Yeah. He reminds me of um, Clint Eastwood in Bridges of Madison County. Right? Yes. Only, yeah, actually almost very to a T. So. Like, I don't yeah. even want to say only he's not as nice. No. No. Wait, he's pretty nice. Yeah. Wait, he's not as uh, charming. No, no, he's he just is. A, he's no, all he's those not things. as sexy. No, yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So Take that's him. it, folks. That's all we got. <laughs> Take no. him to your bathtub. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, yeah, he's... But she's very... Well, she sees through. It, she sees it, through it. She sees through the haze of his charm, and sim- and is able to clearly kind of look at. Well, wait a minute. You're not divorced. You're separated. And she says to him, "How separated are you? Like yeah. there are degrees of separation. My uncle used to go to a convention every year for two weeks, and for those two weeks, he was separated. And then when my aunt found out, they were really separated." So, like, so she it becomes, gets it. So she gets it. She knows that separation is a fuzzy word in some people's vocabulary. Yes. For, Especially at the time. I just want to go to bed with you, um, but my wife is waiting at home. Yeah. Or I want to go to bed with you for X amount of time, and then I'll just go back to my wife eventually. Yeah. yeah. Right? So you might be able to get a whirlwind romance out of it, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. And it seems like for Mary, that's so not remotely a thing that she has any interest in occupying her time with. No. And I can't really blame her. No. No. But. But his presence, he has a very large presence. He's he's yeah. there. He's occupying her desk. Oh, and yeah. And he wants Which her, was his old desk. Right. But he wants her to help him do some research for this project. And uh, so so he's trying every angle mm-hmm. to try and, and lure her in. Yep. And genuinely, like... You're not meant to believe... It's not like he's all yours, where this guy was a stupid, skeevy scumbag. No. You know, his his interest in Mary does seem genuine. Right. But it's also but genuinely it, probably fleeting. Yes. And that's... And she's not interested in that. No. Like, it's, it would be one thing if she were in control of the situation and was, you know, mutually interested as the part... As the other person... And able to autonomously have a fling with someone. But he's that's, not that's... making that the case. He's trying to make this into a romance. Into something where he is in control. And he's dictating the terms of the engagement. And it's over when he says it is. Without saying a word of that. That's the impression you yes. get. And I think she can read into it and recognize that that's not what she wants. Oh, yeah. I would like I if I were if I were single, I can think about a couple of people who I've had relationships with who behaved 
like John Corcoran. Is that right? Who were charming and worldly and knowledgeable and also romantic and, and very much in this vein of being able to woo you. And as a younger woman, I fell for a hook, line, and sinker and got really badly hurt mm. and taken advantage of, essentially. Were they separated? No, they were genuinely single. So there's the there's the difference, is that However, she has a trigger here that's able right. to make her go, wait a minute. Right. There's something that you're... Th- this isn't totally kosher. There's something that doesn't add up. In a situation where somebody's single, you don't, you don't you have don't that. Know. Also, if I were... If I... <laughs> If I knew now, if I knew then what, what I, know I know now, yeah, those situations wouldn't have happened to me. I think too, you know, it's it's where you are in your life at a particular time. If you want something temporary and fleeting, and that suits you at that point in your life, mm-hmm. then then go you're for both it. consenting adults. Go for it. Yeah, I think again, you know, putting it in the context of the day, they wouldn't have written that casual affair type of situation mm-hmm. in 1971 for someone whose whose personality and whose persona is 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 as clean and and sweet and naive as Mary. Yes. No, they wouldn't have at all. It no. For somebody else. I think it I, I think it would have been scandalous. Oh, very. It's still kind of scandalous if you think about it. It's 1971 and they're talking about a man being open a about separation. And eventually being kind of caught as being insincere about yeah. separation. Yes. And using it kind of as a tool to, to as a means to his own ends. To woo women. Yep. Yes. As he sees fit to get what yeah. he wants when he wants without having to be beholden to anyone. And it's interesting because Lou Grant uh, kind of applauds that in him mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't as long as Mary's not the subject of the wooing. Yeah. Because he, he has a very protective approach to her. Well, what does he say to her? You shouldn't... Uh, I knew you'd affiliate with him or something <laughs> like that. Like, I, uh, man, I should have known you'd affiliate with him or, or something to that effect. Or, because or, I didn't or, affiliate with him. An affiliate is code for is code sleep for, with. Is, yeah, it's code for have sex with. Yes. Completely. And it's all very discreet. It's all kind of this, like, Hayes code mentality of you can't really say the word, but if you can work around it... And they do kind of. And she hasn't. And although that scene in the kitchen could have gone many different ways. For sure. Yeah. He, uh, he comes over and Rhoda's still there. And Mary kind of sits down and says, you're not leaving. And lies and says that she's her roommate. And mm. she falls asleep on the couch when Mary goes into the kitchen to make coffee. And Mary spills the coffee and she's sweeping it up. And John comes into the kitchen and is standing awfully close. And not in a, in a predatory way, in just a sexual way that is perfectly acceptable. And if only she were willing, and she's yes. not. And she's not. And he—it's not like he forces himself no. on her. Or anything. Like no. that's not even remotely in question. He's here. quite upfront. He's it's, very it's, upfront. You would—you're more comfortable if Rhoda stayed here, kind of thing. Like yeah, he recognizes just... that she's uncomfortable in his presence because of this whole "how separated are you" business. Exactly, and it's. It, it was nice to see because it could have gone in a number of different ways. He could have tried to touch her, yeah, and could have really encroached on her space, and he doesn't. And that's it's kind of nice to see that they're kind of playing with appropriate boundaries, mm-hmm. you know. And she's she's pretty much in full control. Well, relatively in full control. We do have a case of a man in a, in a certain era who who really doesn't take no for an answer. And Joe even kind of calls him slash applauds him on that front. Like, you just don't give up. 
like kind of in shock like at the end of the episode when he tries oh, to Lou. make yeah Lou yeah and he tries to because uh, they're at they go to Murray's and this is the first time that we meet that Murray's, we meet Murray's wife, wife Marie Slaughter uh, who is played by Joyce Bullifant. So this is the first time we've seen her. Okay. Do we see her again? Yes. Okay. She comes up. Um, as does Lou's wife, eventually. And Ted's oh. wife. Or oh. Ted's... Ted's not married, but I believe Ted he gets a, married. He gets a girl. Yes. Eventually. I, rem- I remember her. <laughs> it's all coming back. Oh, wow. I remember her. Yeah. So yeah. There, will be, there will be a time when there... There will when, be a Mrs. Ted. There will be a Mrs. Ted. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but they're at, so they're at Murray and, and Marie's place <laughs> and, uh, they're all playing games and, and, you know, they're like, oh, it's game time. Let's, you know, charades or whatever, Pictionary or what have you. They didn't and, have Pictionary yet. Oh, okay. It hadn't been invented. So and neither, and neither had Trivial Pursuit. Damn. I know. That's the ultimate party game. Yes, it is. As long as you're in like-minded company. Uh, so they're trying to play games and things like that, and John is saying, well, why don't we play Truth? And everybody's like, well, what's that? And Mary's like, I know, let's play uh, Continuation, a game where I say one word and you say a word that, uh, that starts with the last letter of the word that I said, and so on and so forth. And Lou says, all right, I'll start. Looks at Ted and says, box. And game over. He can't think of anything. Because Ted just can't. Because it's Ted. And Lou, uh, John, the, Lou says, okay, well, what's this? truth game so john explains and starts off i'm in love with someone in this room and 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 marie, marie jumps up true and then looks at mary and apologizes because it's obvious it's so obvious what he's trying to do mm. and mary stands up to him and then it kind of continues and he says i'm seriously thinking of getting a divorce and mary laughs and walks up to him and taps pats him on the cheek and says no, no you're not. not it was very good it was very well done like yeah. when you when you see the whole dynamic evolving in yeah. this little game yeah it's literally it, and liter- figuratively literally literally and figuratively it's a game and she catches him mm-hmm. she calls his bluff she calls his bluff and and he admits to it yeah he completely cops out to it yeah and he you know he has no choice but to just kind of say well you got me and he says i'm usually very good at this yes game. and then yes. and then you know that he's Un- just playing her yep he's just trying to have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's nothing wrong with fun, so long as it's not at the expense of another human being. Yep. And in this case, it would have been at her expense eventually. Yes. yes. Even if not immediately. And yeah. Because he doesn't seem to be that kind of a person, but he's the kind of charming man who never hears the word no. Mm-hmm. Not because he, you know, doesn't understand. He's not one of those people who doesn't understand the word no. No, he gets it. He gets it. He's a very smart person. Yes. He's played... He's, his character, I mean, not that I like him necessarily, but I think he is, it's its very well done, and especially for the time. He's the ultimate innocuous, charming man who's also vaguely threatening. Because what we're not discussing at the same time, but what was in the back of my mind that whole time, is the abuse he's leveling against his wife. Absolutely. The very fact that he doesn't value their marriage enough to either stick with it or just get divorced. Right. That he keeps putting her on the ropes. And now we... We know nothing we about know, her. Yeah, we know nothing about the wife. So we're forced to assume that she is a victim in this situation. And I think it's, and I think it's probably a reasonable assumption mm-hmm. g- given that this was then. Yes. I think in today's world you might think, well, it's an open marriage, whatever. Well, exactly. But open marriage is... Yeah. 
and at the time an open marriage wasn't really a thing like it probably was in some communities but not not open enough that you would you wouldn't televise an open marriage on national television no. in 1971 no 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 it just wouldn't happen so no. the assumption is that she's sitting at home going about her dutiful duties as a woman mm-hmm. while her husband is se- while her set her estranged husband is off living his life and then when he's ready he'll come home and she'll have to accept him back yeah you know we don't there's there's this assumption that she's kind of in a bit of a Rapunzel situation. She's trapped in a life that she can't mm. get out of because he won't divorce her or he won't actually commit to her. And the, even the idea of treating marriage as kind of this disposable notion is, is very much present. It's as if, and I don't know if this is a thing with foreign correspondents and people who travel so much for work, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's part of the culture of the the traveling salesman uh, who as Mary's uncle Mm -hmm. when he was when he used to go to conventions he was separated it's 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 a it's that male culture of when I'm away it doesn't matter different hoes and different area codes Mm, yeah but I mean I've I've dated photographers and documentary filmmakers and they are like this man okay and they are narcissistic to a fault. They are charming in to a, a dangerous and toxic yeah. way. Yeah. And they always get what they want. And they have a way of making you feel somehow foolish or invalid for standing up to them or not, not believing the validity of their actions mm. or, the, or the validity of their intentions, which are 90% of the time fake. Okay. Right. There's, uh, it's, it's pretty toxic. Yeah. It can be very toxic. And again, when I was a, when I was a younger woman, I fell for that stuff, hook, line and sinker. It's charming. It has, it has its appeal and I can see that. And I think the whole idea of being someone who doesn't have much that where your home base is, I don't even want to say temporary, but your career. You're a vagabond. Yeah, that vagabond lifestyle, which is, you know, to me, it also goes along with uh, a risk taking type of uh, personality, Mm -hmm. you know, the thrill seeking of being a war correspondent is very romantic. Oh, huge. And and very attractive. But there are toxic elements that come with it. Yeah. And one of them is the impermanence of the relationships that they that they forge that they forge completely. Even yeah. the, and, and it makes something like marriage entirely impractical. Yes. Like a man like that should not be married. Right. Just, just, just call a spade a spade. Have yeah. a girl in every port, whatever. So yep. long as they're aware of the situation yeah. and you make your intentions clear and everybody's actually and okay with it. choose to go along with it or exactly. not. Exactly. But the very fact that he's married, he's subscribed to an institution he clearly does not believe in. Yeah with someone who we have to presume has every faith in that institution right. and is being forced to uh, compromise on their willingness to participate in that institution. I'm not one to believe that the institution of marriage is this sacred bond that no. all humans must enter into. Like, not at all. No, I'm not, I, I, I don't believe that for a second. I mean, I come from a, I come from a, a happily broken home. <laughs> so, you know... I, I know that sometimes it doesn't work out, and I know that that's totally fine. But there's an aspect of decide. Everything's a decision. 
right? Absolutely. If you make the decision to get married, then you've made that choice. It doesn't mean you're stuck in that decision. No, but at the the time when you get married, you have every uh, intention of making it a lifelong commitment. Oh, completely. You don't go into a marriage thinking, well, you know. For now. Five to ten years. Unless you're like (laughs) uh, Elizabeth Taylor or something. And even in her case... Oh, she believed not. that she's she believed that those were going to last, but she she was very short sighted. So now, granted, I know very little about Elizabeth Taylor, so I'll stop judging her right now. But fair enough. But seven? Did she have seven or eight? I can't remember. I can't something remember. like that. Something so you like have to that. think. Well, and maybe you should have stopped at like two or three and really. But at the same take time, a good look at your life. But at the same time, you know, who are we to judge? The idea of marriage is 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 like, I mean, it's a it's. It's a fairly permanent institution, in theory. In theory, but on paper, we know, we know how that well that works. Exactly. But you could very well just not... I mean, and this is coming from a privileged, modern, well, contemporary yes. now, viewpoint that you could just not get married. Yes. And then, you know, you're only bound by your word. Yes. And if your word is your bond, then you better have a pretty strong conviction. Yes. And that's and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But with him, with John Corcoran, he's really abusing a system and, and, and he's he's abusing his unseen, unheard wife. Right. Very much so with the institution. Like and I think that's also what Mary sees through. I think if he were if he were technically single, if he were unmarried, but had a girlfriend elsewhere or or had multiple girlfriends elsewhere she might have been able to just kind of let go and have fun in the moment and yeah, you're passing through. Cool. Pass through me. I could use some fun. Mm-hmm. And and whatever. Who cares? But the very fact that he's made this, the commitment that comes with the institution of marriage and is treating it so flippantly means that there are abusive tendencies in his in his behavior. And whether and that it, that's never talked about because that's no. that's digging way deeper than I think they would have in a sitcom in the seventies. Yes, uh, we can look at it from this point of view yeah. and say, yeah, that's not okay. No, and it's and it's really not. No, like. It's it's easy to kind of forget in the moment though, because like even while it's happening, I'm kind of sitting there going, "Yeah, Mary, just have fun. Let go, do it. Mm-hmm. I, you deserve it, and all this stuff." And I then know, it kind of dawns looking, on you that you're, you're like, look- "Wait a minute, not so Like, much. let's think about this for a second. Yeah, it's not going to end well. No, if you and, think you're, about- and you're going to be hurt. Well, exactly. And then he's going to find a way to let you down gently or not mm-hmm. and move and move along and go about his business exactly. and, and he won't lose any sleep over it no. and you will exactly and it's not worth it no it's never worth it no you've got to you know men typically you know cisgendered white men typically look out for themselves they don't yeah. tend to look out for other people until maybe they do get married or they start a family. Until they or, have, yeah. Until they have someone that they love more than themselves, typically, they just look out for themselves. And it takes a long time to get to that point. Women, what I find is we seldom put ourselves first within or without relationships, within or without families. When we are single or when we're married with five kids. We, we are socialized to believe that, that we don't come first. No, we are the caregivers of everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. 
and that the needs of others, then, you know, whether it's the needs of your children or the sexual needs of a man who is interested in you, mm-hmm. that these things and everything in between come first. And, yeah. and you do see that with John, that he's kind of trying to make Mary believe that he should, uh, that he should get what he wants and what he wants is her. And she quickly kind of backsteps on yeah. And and yeah. whether whether she back whether she backtracks and and kind of says no I'm not comfortable with this because of her very traditional upbringing mm-hmm. or because that's just what the directors wanted at that point yeah because it suited them to portray it that way mm-hmm. um, but I think I think there's an element of that that's that's very common in women very much so very much yeah. so kind of this. Uh, a supplicate mm-hmm. kind of behavior, this this subservient behavior yes. of women. Which is, you know what? We're getting a little tired of it. And we're starting to see socially and politically that that's... We don't need that. No. No, it's, not, it's, it's not in our best interest to be subservient to anyone, really. And especially not to men who will take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. And it's never been in our best interest. Mm. In the history of the world, it has never been in women's best interest mm. to be subservient. And yet, society is dictated across across generations, across and cultures. Across cultures, yeah. It has dictated And some that cultures are still very much that way, mm-hmm. to the point where women who don't play that role are ostracized from their own societies for being too uppity and too independent and oh, too... Yeah. And even just the way we talk about women amongst other women mm-hmm. we've been socialized to believe that we are competition for one another and not that we're a sisterhood and mm-hmm. you don't have to support every woman and you don't have to agree with every woman but it is important to try and and recognize that you know that not every woman is a threat to every woman no we're not in competition no we're not in competition for careers or for marriage or for families or for anything status yeah yeah if we really look at the the fabric of society and try and think that if we support one another everything will be better absolutely that changes the dynamic of the world and that crosses social political cultural barriers that's the type of thing that you know and, and we're kind of venturing into, I guess, more of a feminist discussion now than just... Well, it's, it's all been fairly feminist, let's be honest. That's but, what we do. <clears throat> but a discussion of, you know, feminist politics specifically. But, you know, white feminists are a real problem. Mm-hmm. I myself have had to acknowledge my own tendencies towards white feminism in the past. When I first heard the term white feminist, oh, I got my back up. I, As opposed you're, you're, you're to a broader, my... a broader context. Do you know what, the, the, what white feminism is? Can you explain? White feminism essentially is uh, the cons. The when it, it's a, it's a lack of intersectionality in feminism. Ultimately, it's it's women who are typically white who just look at feminism as 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 monochromatic. Okay. You know, people who discuss, say, for instance, women who discuss, well, women make le- uh, X amount less money to the, uh, to the dollar to the than male men. To dollar. That's an accurate statement. However, just 
thinking about it in that construct is a pretty white feminist uh, way of thinking of it. Recognizing that white women make less to the less money to the dollar than than men, and that black women make less money to the dollar than white women, mm-hmm. and that Hispanic women make less than everybody. Mm-hmm. That's real feminism. Okay. Recognizing that the rights of trans women are as integral to to the rights of women in general as opposed to just you know the re- just just women's rights blanket is okay. is proper feminism as opposed to white feminism it's it's the it's the idea of intersectionality that changes it that we so need white to... feminism is is it's just too narrow a definition of feminism it's yes it's 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 acknowledging that there are more issues that need to be addressed mm-hmm. for something to be true feminism you know f- the the foundations of feminism are are equality it's not to usurp men it's not to be more powerful than men it's not hating men these are common misconceptions mm-hmm. feminism is rooted in equality women making the same amount of money as men women having the same access to the same opportunities as men access to the same education reproductive freedom a problem we are unfortunately having to fight for again in a in a manner that we haven't had to fight for since the 1960s like it's not in canada not as much in canada as they are currently in the states true um but in fact, we've actually in the province of Ontario now it is illegal for protesters to be within a certain amount, I know. within of a certain a, distance of, of an abortion clinic, of an abortion clinic, which which is huge, which is huge. and and big. within a certain distance of abortion doctors' homes. Oh, really? It connects okay. it. Yeah. Good. So Good. we do have more advantages there than say they do in the United States. For sure. But ultimately, as I was saying, it. It's not just looking at women's rights. It's looking at the rights of women of color. It's looking at the rights of black women, Hispanic women, uh, Japanese women, Chinese women, uh, Iranian women, women of all walks of life, trans women, uh, non-binary women, who I suppose would just simply be non-binary people. Like, it's, it's, it's all of that under one blanket. So recognizing the the equality of equality i guess <laughs> if that that makes sense makes sense yes, it, it sounds does. a little silly to say no but, but it, it does make sense mm-hmm. i understand the first time i saw what what white feminism was i saw the term and was immediately like whoa that's not me that's racist really? and oh yeah i said i i've said dumb stuff like that a lot and it's important to be able to kind of pause look at your reaction and try and recognize why you're having the reaction you're having. Why are you getting defensive? Yes. Yes. And so I did. Defensiveness is very telling. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to step back from one's own defensiveness about anything Mm -hmm. and kind of go, oh, I see what I'm doing here. Oh, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I I, I saw the term and immediately got uppity and paused and went, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I'm just not understanding this properly. It's probably a good thing if I look into it. And so I found, I, I, I looked into it and I found a video on YouTube of this, of this black woman explaining what white feminism is and doing a beautiful job of it too and making it relatable and actually making me understand it and recognizing, oh, yeah, I've done that before. 
It's all the women who, white feminism is all the women who went to the women's march who scoffed at black women who were in the crowds. Who, oh yeah, there was Why? a, oh yeah, there was a lot of it. After the, after the women's march, immediately after the, uh, immediately after it was elected. It, um, yes. There were stories coming out from, because everywhere women were, were feeling so united on that day, and I remember it, and it's still very valid. It doesn't inv- this doesn't invalidate the significance and the power of that march. And that's also an important thing to recognize, is that you can be right and wrong at the same time. But what yeah. was so wrong was there, were, there was a picture, and you might have seen it, of a black woman in a white, hat, a white baseball cap sucking on a lollipop, holding up a, a, a picket, like a sign, a protest sign, in a sea of pink, pink pussy hats. Right. Everywhere. And the sign says, remember, I think it was something like 53%, like, remember 53% of white women voted for Trump. And she was, and, and the, the woman gave a statement about it or wrote, a, wrote a, an article, I can't remember which, but there was, it was written about that the entire day, Women were walking, white women of varying ages were walking up to her going, that's really confrontational. You shouldn't do that. This is about unity. And, and it's like, well, no, she's right. She's 100% right. That is act, an actual statement of fact. And white feminism is going up to a black woman and telling her that she is wrong to point out the faults of white women because it's non-inclusionary. It's, that's white feminism to say, I'm a feminist, but you're wrong because that's offensive to me. No, no, no. You don't like it because it points out a fact of other people like you who did something wrong. And who did something different from you. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're, you know, she's not attacking you. And you're not necessarily responsible for the actions of the 53% of women in the United States who did vote for Trump. Exactly. But you're responsible for your own reaction afterwards. You're responsible for helping these women who don't have a voice have a voice. You're there. You have to be their megaphone because as a, as a white woman who is, and even if it's some trans people will talk about this where if they're, uh, I can't remember exactly what the term is, but where you can pass for cisgendered. So if you're a transgendered woman and you, nobody can tell. Like, there are a lot of transgendered women who still look very masculine in some ways, who can't hide, and they're very at risk of a lot of violence and a lot of aggression. And trans women who can pass, I think it's called passable cis or something like that, have to recognize that they have a level of privilege that those women don't. We have to recognize our privilege as white women, as as cisgendered women, as passable, passable women, that we have a level of privilege that affords us more luxuries in life than other women have and that we have to we have to be their voice and do we have yes and i i i understand what you're saying mm-hmm. are there people of color and people who have less privilege than we do who resent the fact that they need or that we may want to be their voice yes and that's and that's because that's the flip side of that too it's like why are you speaking for me i have my own voice well and this is the thing is that it's not just i I, i'm i guess i'm i'm phrasing what i'm saying probably a little indelicately we have to make ourselves available so that we can speak they can speak through us but we don't speak for them exactly exactly yes 
And you have to save space. You have to make space available for these women. You have to, if, if say, you're in a gathering and you're at a meeting and you're talking about women's issues, just as a for instance, and the room is 90% white and a black woman stands up and wants to talk and she keeps getting interrupted. It's your job to stop, to say, I'm sorry, she was speaking. And then sit down and shut up, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's your job to, to save the space for them and to allow them the ability to speak for themselves or, or to speak through you if necessary, to, to just make the potential for their equality possible. I think the other thing that I would say is that there's a level of snobbery mm. associated with white feminism because of a level of education mm. that goes along with our privilege and that somehow we are more articulate well, and we are more in tune to the issues. And, he, and we're not. Sorry and here's a, no, no, sorry, I'm sorry, I was interrupting. But uh, fun fact, black women are some of the most educated women in the United States. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. That's an amazing thing to hear. And there's a bias there, right there. Right there. Is this recognition of, of prejudice. Yes. A recognition of a lack of information on our part. And Yes. And that's a there really isn't So are you talking like proportionately like if so if you look at the proportion of black women in America versus the proportion of white women in America Not even women. People. People in general. Ungendered. Black women are some of the most educated women in at least the United States, if not North America. That's amazing. Yeah. And they don't and and they have fewer jobs. Yeah. They have less pay. Yeah. They a myriad of issues. They are unheard. And it's 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 painful to think about. They're dismissed, they're passed over. And it's not fair at mm. all. Not mm. just because they're the most educated group in, in 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 the States or North America, that's a fact that I have to double check. But because but because they're human beings. Because they are worthy of the equality that all, that humans, all humans are worthy of. Yes. And we have pushed them to the point it's there's a really amazing episode in, of uh, Master of None, which is Aziz Ansari's show, um, from season two. Uh, it's the Thanksgiving episode. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're probably knowing where I'm going with this. There's, uh, and I'm, I'm terrible with names, so I'm forgetting her name, but there's a, a black gay woman on the show who is Aziz Ansari's character's best friend, who... Uh, they've known each other pretty much their whole lives since they were kids. And in this episode, it's a Thanksgiving episode that follows her family. And I think it's Angela Bassett who plays her, who plays her mother. And it goes from when they're little kids to, I think, four or five Thanksgivings as it progresses. And her kind of recognizing her sexuality or being confused by it and then kind of recognizing it, coming to terms with it and coming out to her parents. And the, and, or to her mother, as her father's not there, her mother and her aunt, and her grandmother. And it's like the progression through that lineage and her mother having a hard time accepting it and everything. It's an amazing piece of television. And, and the, the woman who, uh, I'm going to actually stop just calling her the woman and I'm going to double check her name because it's bothering me. Lena Waithe. I can't believe I forgot that. Lena Waithe. So she plays Denise, is the character. 
she won the Golden Globe for, oh. for writing that episode. And there's a moment when they're little kids and they're talking about, they're talking about being minorities. Okay. Because Aziz Ansari is Indian and she's black. And the, <laughs> she says something about being, I think her, Denise's mom says something about being disenfranchised. And um, Aziz Ansari's younger counterpart says, so we're like a McDonald's? And it's kind of adorable. But then Angela Bassett says to them, she's like, no, you're minorities. And Denise, you're two minorities. You're black and you're a woman, which means you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Right. And that's, which yes, is, I know, which Trix is, is chiming in. That's it. But... And that's and that's so much. It's, of it's a the statement. Problem. It's a statement that you hear over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's very and it's it's a problem now. It was a problem then. It will be a problem tomorrow. And it will continue to be a problem so long as we don't stand up for each other. And that's so important. We've gotten a little off topic from you know adulterous men, but you know fuck the men. We can talk about women for a change because we never do that on this show. No, not at <clears throat> But that's it. I'm done lecturing. I'm sorry. That must have been. The Insufferable. Soap, the soapbox the goes soap. into the corner. Yes. So yeah. So that's it for so the So that was a fun today. episode. <laughs> a relatively innocuous episode that yields another forty minutes of pontifications by Ariel. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so next week we will be discussing episode eighteen, second story story. Ha. Ah. <laughs> Mary's apartment is burglarized. Oh no. Twice. <gasps> So we'll see what happens there. It should uh, be interesting. The episode is written by Jay Sandrich and written by Stephen Pritzker. Or Steve Pritzker, I guess, was how he was credited on the episode. So that's it for today. Thanks for uh, bearing with us on this longer episode of Ariel's... uh, The World According to Ariel. Frig. Um, But thanks for joining us, guys. You can find us on the various social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, of course, at... After all podcasts, you can reach out by email if you like what you do. If you like what we're doing, you hate what we're doing, you want to offer constructive criticism or ideas for topics that we should be discussing that we're not, uh, send us an email at afterallpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, check out the show on all major podcasting networks and find us on iTunes where you can and should rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Every little bit counts and makes us a little bit more visible to a broader audience, so we would appreciate it. And thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. We'll see you next week.